0: hey everybody it is traggs and i am back with episode 29 of the jungle roar podcast and it is my sincere pleasure <laughs> to welcome back a colleague of mine still colleague once and former colleague however you want to say it obviously evan lazar with clns media Covering the New England Patriots, we covered the New England Patriots together the last time the Los Angeles Rams were in the Super Bowl, but they were not playing the Cincinnati Bengals and they were playing Tom Brady in what would be his penultimate Super Bowl his next to last Super Bowl uh, against the Rams winning down there in Atlanta at uh, mercedes-benz stadium and 13 to 3 was the final score evan it is a pleasure to have you back i have so many things one of the reasons i wanted to get you on this week is we have so many things to talk about that are so relevant to my audience the bengal audience that i think we can go right into it first of all big news of the day evan is that Tom Brady finally on Tuesday made it official. He retires with the nine-page Instagram post that this is New England Patriot fans and New England nation.
1: Gosh, <laughs> everybody has lost their minds in Boston and in New England about Tom Brady snubbing the Patriots in his Instagram farewell And on the one hand, Trags, and you can definitely speak to this better than me, this is a problem with 2022 in society right now, is that we care more in this moment about Instagram posts on social media than 20 years of greatness from Tom Brady with the Patriots. This is the story today.
0: Stupidity. That's what I think this is. But go ahead.
1: It's self-inflicted partially. And I I have to admit that. That is Tom Brady, who is very savvy. Savvy. That's a better way to put it. Very savvy in, in media and has a whole PR team, all these kind of things. When he sat down and read this statement to to his team, to Giselle, whoever he, he vetted this through nobody looked at him and said, Hey, Tom, are you, are you going to say anything about the Patriots? No, right, you're not, right. you know, you're not going to say anything. This might not go over well uh, with your fans in new England. Is this really the approach you want to take? I ha- I find it hard to believe that nobody said anything. Now, my initial read on it, because I am not one of these Boston media blowhards that try to get angry about everything that happens. So I always look at it differently. And then i see the outrage on Twitter and on our different sports outlets here. And then I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be mad about this. I mean, why am I supposed to be mad about this? Tell me. So my first read on it was that he was closing the Bucks chapter to his career because he knew that in his post-playing career, it was going to be all Patriots. Like he knew that he was going to come back here eventually, retire his jersey, Get into the Patriots Hall of Fame, have a statue outside of Gillette Stadium commemorating his career. Probably name Route One after him. Probably name the whole state after him. <laughs> then we have the you know the Hall of Fame induction, where ninety percent of his speech is probably going to be about the Patriots. So I think that he felt like I have the whole rest of my life to celebrate my my career with the Patriots and thank fans and Belichick and Robert Kraft and all those types of things. I also think he looked at it and said, I had. Two years ago, I issued a statement thanking Patriots fans saying I'll forever be a Patriot. Then I did Man in the Arena with ESPN, which is 10 of 11 parts is about his time with the Patriots. There's right. one episode that's about Tampa Bay. And I think he felt like I've I've spoken on that chapter a whole lot. Now, all Patriots fans were looking for was one line, right? And of course, I can't forget about my Patriots Fans and supporters, thank you for all of your 20 years and of support. But at the same time, if you're looking for that from Tom Tom Brady of all people, New England, if you're looking at him to pat you on the back and thank you for your fandom of his greatness, then you're you're selfish, honestly. You're, selfish you're a is a good selfish.
0: word. However, yeah. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Evan. Sure. And that is. He did it wasn't just only thanking the Bucks. He thanked his agent. He thanked his family. Yeah. He thanked Alex Guerrero. Right. I think what bothers Patriot fans, and having covered that franchise for 27 years, I think I'm somewhat qualified to get into the mind or read the mind of the, the emotion of the, the typical Patriot fan. And that is, wait a minute, what the F? You're thanking right. Alex Guerrero. And, and yes, you did your thing two years ago when you say you said you would be forever a Patriot. I get that. But right. to thank everybody in the world yeah. except the Patriots seemed odd to me. And it just seemed like a pretty gross miscalculation and yeah. um, something that, that he just left out of the equation.
1: Right. Which is why I find it so hard to believe that there's not... Another shoot a drop here with the Patriots. And I don't think Tom Brady is the one-day contract type of player. I, I don't I didn't
0: either, but I think this may be more for Robert. This is the one-day contract, remember Evan, is not for Tom Brady, it's for Robert right. Kraft. And right. if Robert Kraft goes to Tom and says, Hey, look, would you do me one thing? And he goes, what is it? Yeah, because that's he cons- considers Robert Kraft his second father. We all know this. Right. He said that on, on multiple occasions. Could you please just retire a patriot? Could you yeah. do that for me? I, I think Tom would do that. I don't think it's about Tom. I think it's about Robert Kraft.
1: Yeah, maybe. I I just feel like Brady, in his own way, and this hasn't always been the case because today he made himself a huge story everywhere, not just in Boston, but especially in Boston. So, but I think in his own way, he never really likes to be the story. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if he really wants the the parade him out. Okay, today. the
0: irony there is he was so pissed off on Saturday when the story yeah. got out that he, yeah. it it did make him the story and. He's-
1: he has butchered the entire retirement process, which is ironic because Tom Brady, we thought he was never going to retire. And now he stinks at retiring. So he's <laughs> from the jump. He it's let it leak. True. He let it leak to Jeff Darlington, who I, I think was really the one behind the ESPN report, but they put Schefter's name on it too, to give it some more Correct. validity.
0: Because the, the, for, for the inside baseball here, Darlington's the yeah. one who has a very, very tight relationship with Don Yee. And right. Jason LaConfora also has... A very, very, very tight relationship with Don Yee. And my sister of all people brought this up uh, on a text to me and I didn't even cross my mind, yeah. but there were incentives that Tom Brady had to fulfill with Tampa Bay. Right. And my guess is that those guys were looking, just happened to be talking about, Hey, what does Tom have to do? W- what about these incentives? And yeah. Don Yee probably, and this is all speculation, I understand that, let it slip. Like, yeah, he's if he's gonna retire, but to get that uh, to get the incentives, he's gonna have to blah, 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 blah. It's not right. the blah 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 blah. He's gonna retire. Yeah. And that's what they obviously any reporter's instincts would pick up on. And that's my guess how it how it leaked out.
1: Right. And so then he goes on a po- his podcast, the Let's Go podcast yesterday. And denies the entire report and says that he's ways away from making that decision and still has a lot of more thinking to do. And then this morning, he drops a nine slide social media post announcing his retirement, which didn't get crafted overnight, right? It's not like he yeah, woke of up. Of course there. not. Right. This morning, he crafted this post. So he stinks at retiring. It's just bad. And it's just bad. It was bad optics. And at this point, as, absolutely backwards as it is and crazy as it is. And I can't even believe I'm saying it. Tom Brady has to do damage control in new England. And that is
0: the irony of ironies.
1: Yeah. And maybe he doesn't care. And I do think that there is a piece of him that might not care. Right. I think there is a piece of him that is going to escape to Costa Rica and Montana and all of his re- his retreats and all that kind of stuff with his family and, and with Giselle and isn't necessarily going to care about all the noise back here in Boston. But Travis, when I tell you, I've had people text me. My my father called me right after it happened and screw Tom. We, this is always going to be a, a a dark mark on Tom Brady's career. We're going to I mean uh, remember I mean, this. I'm we, sure.
0: We, I'm sure you Parker. were like, come on seven yeah. six Super Bowl rings, and you're gonna re- remember him for this. I mean, yeah. all due respect to your it, dad who oh, it, who, I, who I respect <laughs> very much and I've me. met you, him. you know yes. that. yes, I'm like, and I respect your dad a lot if if that's the uh, symbolic or the typical response from a patriot fans i I roll from here in Cincinnati. All the way back to yes. need and yes. get them. Yes.
1: Yeah, it is. That's an
0: incredible eye roll.
1: It's, it's, it's really, and I, I, cause I went on, on, on Patriots press pass with, with John Zanis and I, I just laced into Patriots fans cause I I've had it with this. It's the, the pettiness, <laughs> the pettiness that Patriots fans have taken to this today to sit here and chastise Tom freaking Brady. Because he didn't mention Yes, it's ridiculous. Is beyond petty, beyond petty. And everybody's coming at me and saying, oh, well, Tom Brady asked for this. He brought this on himself by neglecting to include the Patriots. And he only has himself to blame for it. We can be bigger people. We can be adults. We can be better fans of his than this. hold something this silly against him and and alex Barr said it uh just now when we were doing patriot speed and this is the final thing that you know i it kind of comes down to for me is that if this is a one-day thing like if we lose our minds about this for today and then we bury it it's never talked about again fine people are emotional it's 2022 i get it but if this becomes a prolonged story about tom brady's career and about his retirement then that's a real shame. And I think the ultimate thing is, is that at this point, Trags, I am happy he's retired. I'm happy it's over because the stories, the narratives, the coverage of Tom Brady in the last two years locally has only tried to tarnish the 20 years that he was here by talking about, drama between him and Bill Belichick and Super Bowls that were left on the table and issues that are behind the scenes. Now social media posts where he's not talking, what does it all mean? Right. And all this kind of stuff, all of it has been driven to create divide. And we have people in this market of all markets that are tampa bay bucks fans because tom brady is down there and are saying that they they they're on team brady and other people are team patriots that that is the been the most annoying part about him going down to tampa bay for these last two years is that that has now become so much of the story of his legacy instead of just remembering how great he was And, and that's really disappointing
0: let's get to something that uh fans in our region who actually are listening to this podcast yeah. for the Cincinnati Bengals, the Super Bowl 56 pound Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals. Joe Burrow he says with a big smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do because I, I gotta tell you, how many times do you think Evan, I've been called a good luck charm in the last 72 hours?
1: A lot. I mean, you are you left New England, the to page Tom Brady left right with you. The Patriots haven't won a thing since, and now you're back in the Super Bowl with a different team. So, I mean, it, how can you not?
0: Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. Do you see the, yeah. the comparison? I wrote about it. I, I know you read the, the the column on Saturday. I wrote about yeah. it. It was a lot of fun writing that column and because it took me back to when uh, Tom Brady uh, was not necessarily Tom Brady in one Right. The irony is, and, and and kind of the one of the bigger differences, is Joe Burrow is already becoming Joe freaking Burrow, Joey right. franchise. And it, it is interesting to me, having covered the two quarterbacks now, one for 20 years and one for one year, that they are both incredibly clutch late. And I saw that again in Tennessee when he was – it wasn't yeah. spectacular, but it had that great outpass to um, – Jamar Chase setting up the game-winning field goal, and then you had last week where he, you know, brought the team back twenty-one to three from down twenty-one to three and won the game, uh, like Peyton Manning did in 06. W- what are the biggest comparisons you see uh, between uh, Joe Burrow and Tom Brady?
1: Yeah, well, I think Joe Burrow is ahead of Brady because he was the first overall pick in the draft, and and he should be ahead of Tom Brady, who is a sixth-round pick. And the biggest thing that I look at from a comparison standpoint, and you know me, I, I, I'm a film guy, right? I break down yes, the, you are. The, the physical aspects of the game, but I can't ignore the intangible aspects with these two guys that there are so sim- some similarities there in that you're down 21 to three and you still feel like you have a chance in the game. And he feels like you have a chance in the game. And the one trade that Tom Brady's that always stood out to me was he would get emotional at times. He would blow a gasket sometimes when things weren't going well, or he'd get all, you know, dancing around and and celebrating when things were going good, but throw to throw play to play nobody had a shorter memory than Tom Brady. Like he was able to throw a 60 yard touchdown or throw a 60 yard pick six, but he wouldn't change who he was on the very next drive or the very next play. And I look at a guy like Joe Burrow, that confidence, that swagger, that ability to just kind of let things roll off and continue to play at a high level. That to me is what resembles Brady the most is. Mm that cool, calm, collected swagger uh, that they both have. And I, I look at the young quarterback, the Patriots have in Mac Jones, right. and he's not quite there yet in that respect where I think Mac is a little bit more emotional still. And, and where some of the, that emotion a little bit too much when things tend to go bad for Mac Jones, you do see him pouting. You do see him get sulking. down on himself. Yes. You do yeah, see yes. him sulking yes. and that element of Joe Burrow's game is just, that guy's head is always high. He's never in a bad rut. He's never in a moment in in his own feelings. And that's really incredible to watch in terms of a young quarterback. And from a stylistic perspective, I actually think that Burrow is maybe a little bit more nimble and a a little bit more uh, mobile than Tom Brady. very athletic.
0: I got to tell you, Evan. Having watched him now for a full season, I knew he was a smart quarterback. I mean, that was the book on him. I knew he could make a lot of different throws down the field, and I certainly knew he could read. I did not know until watching him game after game, day after day at practice, how athletic the kid is. He is incredibly athletic. And... You know, one thing to keep in mind with Joe Burrow, he was a sensational basketball player as well. He was very, yeah. very good playing basketball, which requires what a lot of quick uh, change of direction movement. Right. And I thought that, uh, you know, somebody brought that up to me earlier in the season, and that is a great point. And that's what Burrow can use in the pocket he, twice in the second half uh, last week in the third quarter, he was running for his life. And we yeah. thought Uh, For all the world, I think it was Chris Jones had him down for a sack, and he runs right out of the the grasp and and makes a positive play. One was a first down, one was a throw down field, I think, to Jamar Chase. Just incredibly athletic.
1: Yeah, really good athlete, really slippery in the pocket. I I think the one thing that you look at with Burrow that he worked, I know he worked a ton with Jordan Palmer in the offseason on – getting a little bit more zip on his fastball and being able right, to drive right. the ball that better down the field. Brady was able to continue to elevate that part of his game with his arm strength to the point where he could make that far hash out and he could throw that ball. That burrow was. I think he was picked on right to Jamar chase in the, in the title game, trying to throw that deep out or maybe it was close to an interception. Yes. And that, that's the one throw that you look at and you say, maybe, Joe Burrow two or three years from now makes is able to get enough
0: but, on that uh, to his to defense, to, to his defense, Evan, he's been making those deep outs. Yes. Last week, I noticed this in warmups and it's one of the reasons we go on the field and actually watch these guys warm up because it right. matters. His throws were high and they had not been high all regular season that I had noticed. They had yeah. not been high in, in the Raider game and they had not been high in the warmups before the Titan game. Yeah. last week they were high and I'm like either he's maybe a little bit juiced up which is understandable maybe he's got a lot of adrenaline going through him and he knows what's at stake and when you have more adrenaline you don't always the ball gets left high and that's what we saw a couple of times uh, on Sunday from Joe Burrow but the thing about Joe Burrow is like you said he doesn't give a shit like if he makes a bad throw he's going to go back to the same play make the better throw and it screw it, I know I'm better than that. I'll just make a better throw the next time.
1: Yeah, so I, I think that those are some of the things I look at with Burrow's game that are both impressive, and, and I think that his work with Jordan Palmer will continue and his arm strength will continue to get better. And really, the, the one thing that ultimately makes Brady Brady and why everybody's chasing him is the competitive stamina, right? The ability to not just do it once, but do it 20 times, you know, in terms of right. season, right? So that that's definitely the hardest part, right. Is can he continue to do this? And can Cincinnati continue to surround him with the pieces around him to be able to keep doing this at a high level for an extended period of time, but he's a really talented core. He's really impressive. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He makes some really great, smart, instinctive reads where I think a lot of the time when I see what Zach Taylor does and I, I like what Zach Taylor has done with him because the one thing that I think stands out to me with the way that they run their offense is they give him options on both sides of the formation based off the coverage shell. So like when he's got a, a, you know, he gets single high, he's got a single high beater to one side but when he gets too high he's got the two high beater to his right so all he's got to do is read out the safety alignment and then pick the side of the field that he wants to throw to based off of the matchups and based off of the way that the defense right. is playing them. so when he gets single high he knows he's got Jamar Chase one on one backside and he's just going to go to his guy but then when he gets too high you know maybe he throws like in Tennessee he threw that dagger concept to T Higgins right you have to clear right. out and you have Higgins on the deep dig right in the middle of the field uh, then at a later on in that game he throws the out to the sideline on the sale because he knows that he's got a zone coverage in that direction and they're going to flood it he saw that against kansas city too where he just knows where to go with the football based off the coverage in the in cincinnati their coaching staff has done a really great job of giving him those clear pictures of where he should be going with the football because they tried the, the chiefs i i watched the tape today and they ran a lot buzz or one robber coverages where they're trying to rotate the safeties and trying to give him different disguise looks and he was able to just find the matchup every single time when he needed to what makes and him
0: I, able to do that evan well how why is joe burrow because you do obviously watch a lot of tape
1: yeah. why
0: is a guy like joe burrow in his second nfl season able to do that
1: ultimately In a lot of ways, it's really simple, and it just comes down to some guys just have fast eyes. Like Some guys just can process things faster than other guys can. I also think that what's really helpful with Burrow is that he's got Chase who can win one-on-ones against man coverage whenever he needs to go that direction with the football. So if you're going to play too high or you're going to rotate the safety towards Chase, then he knows, okay, well, I got this beater on the backside that I'm going to go to, but if you're going to give me Chase – one-on-one I'm just going to Jamar every single time in that situation so I think in a lot of ways their entire passing game and this is why when we talk about up here in New England why it's so important for the Patriots to get Mac Jones a, a receiver like a Jamar Chase it's because when you get that matchup with your number one guy, the entire foundation of the passing game runs through. Our first option is Jamar, right? If, if Jamar has the coverage that he, we like one-on-one, like on the touchdown where he threw the back shoulder, it was, it was single higher, It was zero. It might have been even zero coverage that close to the goal line, but no deep safety. It's just one-on-one across the board. So who, who's going to get in the football? Everybody and under the sun knows who's getting the football, and he makes the play. That was on so,
0: on the back shoulder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you, you just have that option. So I think a lot of the ways that they make it easy on him is it's foundational with chase. If the coverage rolls towards chase, then here's your backside concept that you're working away from chase. But if chase gets the coverage that is advantageous to him, then you just throw the ball to Jamar, which is obviously very uh, easy to do when you have a guy as good as Jamar chase.
0: How many times did we bitch and moan on behalf of the, New England fans, the Patriot fans about getting Brady weapons and how many yeah. times did Brady bitch about that? Yeah. I mean, in the way, yeah. in a way, only Tom could get away with bitching about it, but right.
1: passive aggressively,
0: very passive aggressively, <laughs> but imagine Brady with those kind of weapons. And really yeah. the only time he ever did was Randy Moss and Wes Walker. Right. Right. I mean, the we yeah. saw the kind of numbers they put up then. Through the or 2000. even
1: 2011 when with Gronk and Hernandez and Welker and that combination, right. you know, when you put guys around Brady, it was obviously ridiculous. And I, I think Jamar Chase is like the guy the Patriots to me are chasing. Getting a guy of that caliber is not easy. That's why he was the fifth overall pick in the draft. But that caliber of receiver and. It doesn't have to be in the draft. I I think the most frustrating part for the, from my perspective with the Patriots is that you watch DeAndre Hopkins get traded to Arizona and you watch Stefan Diggs get traded to Buffalo and you watch this receiver movement. I mean, receivers get traded. These guys, they burn bridges they get disgruntled or frustrated with their current situations and they get themselves traded just like Odell Beckham. Now at the Rams is now at the number two uh, with Cooper cup as the number one. And he's going off in the playoffs as the number two receiver in the Rams offense. So not, it doesn't have to just necessarily be through the draft. You can go out and you can pay or you can trade uh, more likely than pay a guy in free agency, A a number one receiver and acquire a number one receiver, but the other guy that I really am envious of from is is Higgins because how often have the Patriots chased the six foot two, six foot three receiver like T Higgins? Kill Harry, yeah. Nikhil Harry Chad Jackson Aaron Dobson I mean Josh Gordon even to a degree right you can just go right on down the line of all the Patriots have never had a T Higgins they have never had a guy that is big and tall and has they a great almost had one
0: rating. I I think in that Super Bowl 53 season or 52 50 yeah I, whenever they had Mohammed Sanu yeah maybe that was earlier um I'm getting old, and I'm forgetting all the super, you know the multiple Super Bowl uh, runs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, when they had Mohamed Sanu, I thought they kind of had that, and I thought right. I think they thought they had that, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And then he gets the ankle injury, and, right. and the rest is history. But that was when, Super
0: Bowl 52, right? Yes, when they uh, lost to the Eagles. No, Sanu.
1: No, Sanu was Sanu was 19, 20, 2019. They they acquired him in 2019.
0: Oh, okay. So yes. after they had won Super Bowl 53. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Continue. So
1: Higgins is the guy that I look at and say he can run routes, right? He's really smooth and fluid for his size, but he's also got size. So when you throw him the ball in the middle of the field, He can use his frame. He can get open at the top of the route and he has a good catch radius to box out and play that kind of basketball rebounding style in the middle of the field, like a tight end almost would. But then you can also put him out on the boundary and throw him jump balls. And the Patriots tried to draft that guy in Nikhil Harry, but it just hasn't worked out as well because Nikhil Harry is not as fluid and loose and smooth as a guy like T Higgins is. So as much as I would love to take chase off the Bengals roster, I would settle for T Higgins because he's the type of guy that they've been chasing and not been able to acquire. They've tried so many different times to find that outside presence with some size and some fluidity and v- vertical ability, and they haven't been able to find it. I, I thought that people overthought the T Higgins evaluation coming out. Cause he was a great player in college too. And it really made a whole lot of sense that he was going to be a good player in the pros, but all three of those guys, Boyd, Chase and Higgins, would be number one receivers in New England. All, all three of those guys are you would think be the Boyd best. would be? Yeah, I think Boyd would be the best receiver on the Patriots if they if they acquired him in a trade or something like that tomorrow. I think Boyd would be the best receiver on the team.
0: I mean the Bengals are blessed right now, and all of them yeah. have been able to stay healthy, knock wood going into the Super Bowl, and that's a big deal. And Uh, they've used all of them. See, it's one thing to have those three. It's another to be able to use them the way they want to be used. And in this day and age, Evan, and you know this, keep them happy. And they are all very happy. What do you think of Joe Mixon? What makes him, to me, in a sneaky way, one of the elite five backs in the National Football League? Because I think you put him in the top five, definitely.
1: Pass-catching ability. I think it makes him so much more of a threat that defenses when he's on the field, don't necessarily know if they're going to throw the ball or they're going to run the ball. And I look at running backs that are not necessarily as savvy in the passing game and their offenses tend to get predictable, right? It's, it's guys like Derek Henry, as good as Derek Henry is, It's either Derrick Henry down your throats or it's play action. There's no in-between when he's on the field. And we know this in New England with guys like Sony and Damian Harris. Those guys get so predictable that it's run first all the time when they're on the field that it's much easier to defend. But Mixon's ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and run routes allows the Bengals to just open it up. And you just never know what's going to happen. And then you put in that that they run so much from spread and they have these three receivers – that now all of a sudden teams are playing you out of nickel, uh, they're playing you out of lighter personnel to match up with the passing game, and now we're running the ball with Mixon. So it's just a really nice complement to their entire passing game that they have this back that can be in an all-purpose, all-situation type of back out of the backfield, and it allows them to mix and match in the passing game so well. And I look at how defenses you know, typically defend these, like Kansas City I mentioned they played a lot of one-robber where they rotated the safety into the cro- in the cross or middle yep. of the field hole. They also played a lot of two-deep. Those types of coverages are asking you to run the football on them, and sure. this is what's happened with Kansas City. This is what's happened with Buffalo to a degree and also with Tampa Bay is teams are playing a ton of two-deep safety shells, especially pre-snap two-deep safety shells. And if you can't run your way out of those looks to open up the passing game, then it gets really difficult to succeed in the passing game. And Kansas City, when they were in their rut, they weren't able to run the ball against too deep. Cincinnati doesn't have that problem because of Joe Mixon and the way that they've been running the football. So now it's kind of like what? where are your answers, right? Well, if you're a defensive coordinator, you still got to worry about the passing game more than the running game, but then you know that you're going to give up something on the ground to mix in or underneath to mix in with the checkdowns and the, uh, when he, they do go to the air. So I really think that it's the unpredictability of him out of the backfield that you just don't know exactly what you're going to get.
0: So it's interesting you brought up the run game. One of the reasons I thought the Chiefs lost that game the other day was Andy Reid became stubborn and Patrick Mahomes became confused and greedy a little bit. And he admitted that, uh, you know, Mahomes admitted that after the game, Jarek McKinnon was carving up the Bengals in the first half. Run left, run right, run off right guard. He was doing it all. And in that game, McKinnon had six carries for 32 yards, 5.3 yards a pop in the first half. The Chiefs as a team, Evan, had 12 carries for 72 yards. They finished, okay, with, I want to get this right, make sure I have it right. Uh, They finished with 24 carries and 139 yards, 5.8 yards per pop. They just, for whatever reason, were not as effective in the second half and didn't stick with the run when they had the lead
1: yeah, you're up 21 to three and you don't run the ball in the second half is I, you know, me, I like to throw the ball. I I, I'm one of these guys that do do. numbers and I want to air it out. I do. But the situation when you're up 18 points in the second half is to run the football, right? And especially if you're doing 11
0: points, I mean, they were, it was 21, 10 at halftime, but still a big double digit lead.
1: Right. And especially when you have the threat, of Patrick Mahomes in the the passing game, you know that Cincinnati is not going to all of a sudden put eight, nine guys in the box and be so super concerned about the run game. So you're going to be able to effectively run the football. But this is, in a lot of ways, the reason why these teams lose, like Kansas City, not so much with Buffalo anymore, because what Buffalo did is they started using Josh Allen as a runner, and that unlocked their run game from there because Josh Allen was such a threat with his legs that they were able to play it 11 on 11. And they basically had like Cam Newton, but he was good at passing. Like it was, you know, that's why they were so prolific in the playoffs. And so they had this combination of being able to run the football with Allen, but with Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is an interesting mobile quarterback because he's not, actually that fast like in a straight line he's not actually going to run away from very many people but he's got this unorthodox style of running the football and he's very slippery Hmm. and he's able to extend plays and keep plays alive but he actually ran a pretty pedestrian 40 in the combine i think he was somewhere like a four seven at five four eight somewhere in that range so he doesn't have tremendous long speed or straightaway speed so I don't think the Chiefs are really too interested in using him the way that the Bills use Josh Allen. And on top of the fact that he's not necessarily Josh Allen physically, he's not as big as Josh Allen. So he's not going to take the wear and tear as easily as Allen either. So I think what I, you know, witnessing this game against the Bengals and the Bengals defense, they recognize that you can let Mahomes run around like a crazy person behind the line of scrimmage and try to extend plays and try to keep plays alive if you plaster down the field with That's eight guys fair. in coverage, he's just going to keep running around and running around. And he's not going to scramble away from you because your defensive line is actually fast enough to catch him. So he's not like Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson or something like that, where if you drop eight into the coverage and everybody's got their back to the quarterback, that he's just going to gain 30 yards on the ground on a scramble because he's not that fast. So I think it's fascinating what they did. It reminds me so much of what the Patriots did Actually, during the COVID season, they were able to hold down Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense for three quarters without Stephon Gilmore. in that wacky Monday night game in Kansas City doing a lot of the same things where they were dropping eight guys into coverage and they were playing these these heavy uh, man match zones where they were basically just forcing Mahomes to hold the football for five seconds at a time and then eventually make a decision with it to throw the ball into tight coverage somewhere or to scramble And he's just, he's a a good scrambler. He's obviously better than average scrambler, but he's not an elite scrambler in terms of just actually running with the football. So I, I think that that's what the Chiefs realized or what the Bengals realized. And it was fascinating to watch Mahomes just not want to pull the trigger and just keep on running around in circles. And sometimes it it gets him into huge advantageous situations. Like he threw the touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey early on in the game on a crazy, magical scramble type of play in the red zone. But then other times it leads to what it led to at the end of the game. And and I think that's what Luma Amarillo was going for. And Arumo. Thank you. uh, Was run, run around. Like, go ahead. Run around back there like a chicken with your head cut off. We're going to make sure that once you do decide to throw the football, we're going to have tight coverage and we're going to force you to throw the ball into multiple defenders. And if you beat us then you beat us, you know, I think that that's kind of the book now on Mahomes. You don't necessarily need to pressure him because he kind of gets skittish and impatient on his own. And then he just starts to run around in circles.
0: Speaking with Evan Lazar of CLNS media, covering the Patriots. I, of course, cover the Bengals for CLNS media. It's Great to have you on, Evan. All right. Yeah. Super Bowl 56, SoFi Stadium, February 13th. We covered the last time, as I mentioned earlier, the last time Aaron Donald and Sean McVay and the L.A. Rams yeah. were in a Super Bowl. And in that game, I will refresh your memory. The Rams had the front of Michael Brockers, Dama Kansu, yeah. Aaron Donald, and Fowler. They had well, Fowler's linebacker, but they had those three, Brockers, Sue, and Donald. Now everybody is wondering here, covering the Bengals and, you know, Bengal fans, Houdet Nation, how in the world are the Bengals going to handle Aaron Donald, who they're already pumping the tires of as the greatest, Zach Taylor did on Monday, the greatest player yeah. uh, in the National Football League and has been for some time, um, and, and Von Miller and the rest of the um, defense of, of the Rams, the defensive front. How, how did the Patriots do it that day, and how do you think the Bengals should mirror it?
1: So, honestly, the biggest mismatch in the Super Bowl is the Bengals' offensive line against the Rams' defensive line. This is what you're going to hear about all next week when, when people start to really break down this matchup, is how significant of an advantage the Rams' defensive line has. Now, I think the biggest way that the Patriots were able to do it was early on in the game, they sent a lot of double teams towards Aaron Donald, and they were basically putting a lot of bodies on him. And that got him frustrated a little bit because he was trying to get through multiple layers all the time. And I think by the end of the game, that's when you get the one-on-one reps with Joe Tooney, right? Your best guard and pass protection against Aaron Donald one-on-one and Tooney won those reps and was able to keep Brady clean. But the way I look at it from a Bengals perspective is this is ultimately going to be all about Joe Burrow, right? Can Joe Burrow and the receivers get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands fast enough to mitigate this offensive line or this defensive line of the Rams? So if I'm Zach Taylor and the Bengals, I'm going with a tempo. I'm going quick passing. I'm going get the ball out as quickly as you possibly can. This has got to be one of those games where they just can't get to Burrow because he doesn't hold the football long enough in the pocket for them to get in in there and make a play on him. And you can still take – because they have who they have on the outside with Chase and Higgins, you can still take some shots – quickly right it doesn't have to be you don't have to hold the football for for five seconds to allow Jamar Chase to run a fade and and try to throw one up to him down the field so I think you can still take shots down the field while getting the ball out quickly strategically but you have to if you're the Bengals you have to game plan their defensive line like that has to be the number one point in your game plan is at all times we have to be aware that we can't hold on to the ball that we can't have the ball live behind the line of scrimmage because that's exactly where the Rams want the football to be. I think it's a fascinating matchup because it's going to be a real test of can a quarterback like Burrow, who reads it so quickly and gets the ball out so quickly, neutralize a defensive line basically all by release time, right? And, And just not give him the opportunity to just stand there and tee off on him.
0: So the Bengals have beaten Jeffrey Simmons. The Bengals have beaten Chris Jones. They've beaten two very, very good, I'd say top 10, top eight uh, defensive fronts in the National Football League on the road to get here to this point. I think they have a chance, but you know what I'm going to say? Run the ball. And what I think paid off on Sunday against the Chiefs, Evan, is the fact that they kept going to Joe Mixon. And they kept yeah. – because everybody in the press box – and I know you were texting me this – will you please tell Zach Taylor to stop running the freaking ball? Right. M- my problem wasn't the run. It was the st- the stretch run was going nowhere. Yeah. And part of the problem with that stretch run that Bengal fans, I'm sure, were getting infuriated by was Mixon was getting really deep in to the um, into the path, into his path. He w- was right. not allowing the – pursuit to over pursue and then cut back. So I think yeah. one thing you're going to see is you might still see some of those stretch runs, but then it'll be interesting to see how much Joe Mixon tries to cut back against this defense on those stretch runs and how much they try to just play pound, pound the rock and run the ball straight ahead. I know the Patriots did that in Super Bowl, uh, 53 when they beat the Rams. And if you take a look at the stats from that game, Sony, Michelle, who had the game's only touchdown in the fourth quarter, 18 carries 94 yards. He averaged Evan five, 5.2 yards a pop Rex Burkhead, seven carries 43 yards, 6.1 yards per carry in that game. The Patriots against that defensive front 32 carries 154 yards, 4.8 yards per carry. And the game's only touchdown. If I'm Zach Taylor and I look at that, I'm like, Hmm. I think Joe Mixon's a little more explosive than Sonny Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. I would go I would go that route.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting because, well, first of all, one of the best sequences of that entire Super Bowl uh, from the Patriots Rams Super Bowl was the Patriots backed up on their own goal line and running the ball off their goal line to set up Steven Gostkowski for the field goal that made it 13 to 3. And when you look at the way that the Rams play. Uh, they do play a lot of too deep for the most part, except when they went up against Jimmy Garoppolo last week, they said, Jimmy, we don't think you can beat us. Try to beat us. We, we think you stink. So they played a lot of single high and they really focused on stopping the Niners run game. And if you deep watch the, yeah, they watched the first couple of clips of that Rams defense against the Niners offense, they're handing the football off to Mitchell and the Rams' defense is just coming downhill. I mean, they're just killing uh, the 49ers up front, and they were blowing up the spot on the 49ers, and it was pretty crystal clear from the beginning that they wanted to set the tone that they weren't going to get pushed around by San Francisco. This is a different matchup, obviously, and that's, I think, a fascinating thing about this one is the Rams are typically, because they have such a good defensive front and because they can take back gaps, without playing an extra guy in the box because of Donald and because of how good they are on the D line, they play a lot of too deep, which is what teams have done against the Bengals. But if you are going to play that, that structure, then you obviously have to stop the run and man short. I think Zach Taylor will obviously know that and they'll probably try to run the football on a lot of those two deep shells. The question will in this game will probably ultimately come down to how successful they ultimately are running it against uh, the Rams defense and against Donald and company. Cause that it's a great group. It's, it's a great defense. Uh, the offensive side too, is an interesting matchup too, just because of the way that things have changed pretty significantly for the Rams with Matthew Stafford. They're no longer the under center bootleg action play action, heavy offense that they were with Jared Goff. Uh, they play a lot more out of the gun. They play a lot more empty five wide. Uh, they don't do a whole lot of the old school McVeigh bootleg stuff that we saw in the beginning of McVeigh's tenure with the Rams because mostly because Matthew Stafford is not like a huge fan uh, of being under center. So they've gone and they've adapted to a much more spread look. And uh, the, the play I wanted to bring you uh, to bring up to you is called choice stucco.
0: Okay. They must
1: run choice stucco 20 times the game. And all it is, is a fade or kind of a converted fade where you can convert it into a comeback, a little whip option route on the inside. And on the backside, they have a choice route for Cooper cup and they'll motion him. They'll run a lot of different alignments, stack alignments, bunch formations, and they'll run it out of different formations. But I cannot tell you, you watching that game against San Francisco, how many times Cooper Cup won on Choice Stucco is insane. It, it must have been like five or six times for big plays down the field. So the, the one thing about the Rams offense, and I wrote about this when the Patriots played them in the Super Bowl, it's very simple. They don't run a ton of plays. They don't run a ton of personnel groupings. Their passing game is probably a dozen plays mm. at, at most. Uh, I would say against their their installs, against like the 49ers, for example, I think they might have ran six or seven different passing concepts the entire game, but they, they marry it so well with the run game and they kind of put different formations and different little twists on it and stuff like that. And that's what makes it difficult to stop. But they are a very simple, straightforward offense. They do not confuse you with a bunch of different play calls. They don't have a whole Rolodex. They don't have a gigantic playbook like some other offenses do. So what you got to be ready for though is that McVay is a magician at getting Cooper cut free releases off the line of scrimmage. It's almost impossible to jam him. It's almost impossible to press him because they'll line him up in stacks. They'll motion him. They'll put him in the slot and they make it extremely difficult. And he's so good at the top of the route and he's got such nuance and suddenness in his route running that if you don't get your hands on him and he gets moving, then it's so difficult to stay with him down the field. So I'm really interested to see what they do against cup in particular, obviously you have Jesse Bates. You can put him over the top and try to put somebody underneath and go that entire route. But I, I really think that in order to beat a guy like cup, in order to limit him, you got to get your hands on him. It's really the only way that you can really have a chance. Cause if he gets to the top of the route, he's just, he's just nasty.
0: All season, Joe Burrow. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball. Now Joe Burrow has talked about um, if you're going to leave Jamar chase, one-on-one, good luck to you, Right, And the Bengals are, like, daring you. You want to play them one-on-one? You want to play them one-on-one? The Bengals may finally be facing a team that's like, damn straight, we're going to play them one-on-one. His name's Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey against Chase. What do you make of that matchup?
1: One of the best cornerback wide receiver matchups that you could possibly have in a Super Bowl. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, because not only does Ramsey and Burrow and Chase, excuse me, they align in such a similar spot, right? So like, you're going to see this. This is not like when the Patriots were to play the Rams and Marcus Peters had to go inside to take Julian Edelman out of the slot where Marcus Peters isn't really familiar with inside uh, formations. Jalen Ramsey is an outside corner and Jamar Chase is an outside receiver. So this is strength on strength. It's, it doesn't get any better than this. The one thing, though, is that the Rams, they're not – they play some man on third down, uh, but they're not a big man-to-man team, right? They play a lot of three, uh, three buzz, things like that. They don't play a ton of man, so they'll get them in matchups. But what Chase is going to have to be ready for is that Ramsey likes to change up his three techniques. So when I talk about cover three, he's matching, right, obviously vertical routes. So it is a little bit like man – But sometimes he'll get into your face and he'll play it more like bump and run press man. But then sometimes he plays bail technique where he's just getting off the line of scrimmage and and running up the field and getting on his horse to stay over the top. So he likes to change it up and he likes to kind of keep the receiver off balance and he doesn't allow you to beat him at the line of scrimmage like you're not going to beat him with a release. You're not going to just beat them at the line with something quick or something savvy at the line of scrimmage. You're going to have to beat them down the field. And that's what makes Jalen Ramsey so difficult to to beat and and be productive on is that he doesn't get beat early in the route too often. A lot of cornerbacks to get into trouble, it's because they get released beat at the line of scrimmage in the release game. and, And then they're trailing and then they're trying to play catch up from that point on in the down Ramsey is you got to beat that guy at the catch point like there's you have to beat him down the field and obviously that's really difficult to do consistently because he's really good at defending the ball so this is going to be a fascinating matchup because Chase is probably one of the best receivers at the catch point that I've studied coming out of the draft maybe ever and Ramsey's probably one of the best DBs at the catch point that I probably studied maybe ever so that part of it is going to be uh, super, super fun to watch. And my guess is, is that you might see Joe Burrow go away from Jalen Ramsey a little bit, because I do think that they have more, certainly uh, a lot more advantageous matchups for Higgins and Boyd uh, than they do with Ramsey. So it's going to, it's going to be a heavyweight matchup. If Jamar Chase can get open against that guy, then forget about it. I mean, I, I just, I think for my money, It depends on what type of system you're running, right? If you're a man-heavy system, then maybe you're taking a guy like a Gilmore, like a Marshawn Lattimore, like somebody like that, that can get into somebody's face and play man. But just in terms of all things equal, all things considered, Jalen Ramsey's the best cornerback in football.
0: I think it's going to be one of the best matchups. Like going in, one of the more underrated best matchups the Super Bowl has seen just because of the different storylines, the different – the franchises, how they got here, how they're built, um, yeah. and the young talent um, on Cincinnati's roster that figures to be coming back to at least the championship level on a yearly basis, kind of like what the Patriots have done, the Chiefs have done. The, the Bengals are built that way. They have a young, very talented roster, as we've all seen. Yeah. The Rams, built a much different way and it's been well documented uh they went out and made the trades got the Vaughn Millers got the um OBJs uh on the offensive right. side of the ball and it should be a really fascinating matchup and what do you think of the two head coaches
1: it's funny because in some ways they they're staring at them in the mirror at each other a little bit right obviously Zach Taylor learned in that tree in that vein but what McVeigh has done with Stafford is a little bit different than what they traditionally did in the wide zone system with the under center stuff. It's a little bit different. I I look at McVay and I think that that guy is just a one hell of a football coach because the best thing about him is that he took a lot of coaches take that eighteen Super Bowl against Bill Belichick and it buries them right. It just. You got to the right. biggest stage. You got to the top of the mountain, and you got yourself punched in the mouth. And your offense, your side of the ball, only scored three points. The and entire you know game. what my
0: answer to that is, Evan? Yeah. The quarterback. It's Jared yeah. Goff. I mean, you, yeah. Look, you can scheme the hell out of a game, even the biggest game yeah. in the world, like the Super Bowl. Jared Goff was not up to that challenge because he just didn't have the skill set to handle of all of the multitude of looks that Bill Belichick gave them that day.
1: Yeah. And I, I give McVay a ton of credit because they went into that game against the Patriots. The Patriots played four, three tilt, right? They put six guys up on the line of scrimmage yep. four, three, four down defensive linemen, two outside linebackers on the line of scrimmage, only one backer off the line. And they ran that four, three tilt front and they funneled all of those handoffs back into the interior of the defensive line to the big guys, right? Danny Shelton and Lawrence guy, they let those guys go to work and Hightower was still at the peak of his, of his career. So he could line up as the one linebacker off the line of scrimmage and help fill the gaps from that off the line of scrimmage. Then they played four deep coverage on the back end, rotated it from two high to one high and really took away the play action passing game. So McVay, that was the blueprint on the McVay offense was the four, three tilt front with the different coverages on the back end and then McVeigh adapted. And part of it was obviously because of Stafford, but now they run a lot more power gap, right? They run a lot more pulling linemen. They run a lot more things uh, up the field as a downhill running game instead of just all the wide zone stuff. So you can't just sit in a front to mitigate wide zone because if you play wide zone, then, oh, well, here comes power, right? We're going to pull the guard and we're going to get up to the second level and there's not going to be anybody on the second level because you're so worried about the edges. So- they adapted their scheme. And I think that McVay, in so many ways, I give him so much credit because he didn't get stuck with his foundation. He was able to see how the Patriots beat him. And he was able to then go back to the well, get a better quarterback in Stafford, and then adapt the scheme to be able to mitigate what the Patriots laid in the foundation and the blueprint back in Super Bowl 53. So A lot of coaches can't, don't have the coaching chops to go to plan B. They just don't know how to get there. They don't know how to coach it, they don't know how to design it or game plan it. And Bill Belichick has been the number one guy at that, right? His ability to yes. adapt and change and morph and be what he needs to be is what makes him so unique. And I think McVeigh, not to compare him to Belichick, but McVeigh has gotten to that iteration of his coaching career now where he's able to mitigate the blueprint by adapting with Zach Taylor. What I think is really cool about him is that he's, a wide zone coach to his foundation, just like McVay and Shanahan are, but he also plays the hits from the other schemes too. So sometimes they'll run wide zone, like you're talking about the stretch runs with Joe Mixon, but then they'll also run spread, or they'll also run uh, things from the throwback offenses like the Patriots. Well, they'll run play action from under center. So they run a little bit of everything, and that kind of makes them difficult to stop because they have different things in their bag. So two very different coaches, I would say, because Taylor and that offense, they have a lot of options, whereas McVeigh and his offense, I would say, is a little bit more simplistic and is a little bit more scheme oriented, but really fascinating matchup just in terms of how these two coaches think is the best way to go against these opponents in the Super Bowl is going to be really interesting. But I love that about Zach Taylor. He you watch their tape and some games like he he plays the hits. He just takes stuff from other teams that they do well. And he says, let's just bring that over here and let's do it too. You know what I mean? And, and he doesn't have too big of an ego to be like, oh, we got to do it my way. And uh, I'm saying that as somebody that watches Josh McDaniels 17, 18, 19 times a year where we only do it one way. Right. And it's McDaniels way or it's the highway. It's pretty cool for Zach Taylor to be able to, Say hey, uh, you, do you see what the the Bills did last week? That looked pretty cool. Let's just put that into the system. Oh, you see what uh you know the Patriots do with the pulling guard and the play action with the cross. Let's just do that. You know, let's put that in the playbook. So, uh, really a, a cool coach cuz he borrows from a bunch of different offensive schemes.
0: Your thoughts on um speaking of the devil. Josh McDaniels going to a division that ha- could have quarterbacks Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, my Aaron Rodgers too, right? I think that there's – my brain is so divided on this track because I'm so confused about how to feel about Josh McDaniels leaving because on the one hand, there's absolutely no denying that Josh McDaniels is a good football coach. Like, he's a good coach. Like, he understands football. He understands offense to a degree and to a level that most people never will reach. And Bill Belichick has talked about how he understands – what all 22 players on the field are supposed to be doing at every single play, all 22 offense and defense. He can tell you what the, you know, Mike linebacker's responsibility is what the nose tackles responsibility is what his guys responsibilities are on offense. And he's got such a great football mind, but at the same time, when I look at the Patriots offense, it's become frustrating with, a lot of Patriots fans, I think, get frustrated about the wrong thing. A lot of them get caught up in the in the play calling, right, in the, the situation. Sparth. Yeah, uh, Brandon Bolden on third down. What are we doing? No, the problem with the Patriots offense that I have is more schematically from a big-picture stylistic perspective right. is that they say Nelson Aguilar, Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry Kendrick Bourne, we're going to sign you guys and you're going to play our offense. You're going to play the role that we ask you to play. And they did this to Cam Newton to a degree, too, because they put the Cam Newton package, run package in there. But the passing game that Cam Newton ran was the same passing game the Patriots have ran for 20 years. So with McDaniels, it's I run my, my system. My system works when it's executed properly. It's your job to learn it. And that's how he approaches players. And I'm hoping that with a little bit more freedom, with a little bit more of a different viewpoint, that the Patriots, if they draft a receiver, if they trade for a number one, that guy will end up actually being better with somebody else because it won't be so much of, okay, we traded you know for so-and-so to play the X role. Here's the playbook. Here's the route tree. Go learn it and do a good job at it, right? And, and I, I think that that's a little bit different than some of these other coaches where they get these receivers and they build scheme and they build the offense around those players. Like Brian Dable just got called, uh, just got the head coaching job in, the, in giants. With the giants. Right. As bad as I think Daniel Jones is Brian Dable, who just had Josh Allen didn't say to Daniel Jones, here's the Josh Allen playbook, learn it and, and master it. And I'll see you in training camp. He said to Daniel Jones, give me your five favorite plays that you like to run from Duke and from the Giants. Give me your five favorite passing concepts, and I'm going to build a scheme around those five plays. And that's all the sense in the world. Right. That's what should have happened with Mac Jones. Instead of coming to Mac Jones and saying, go watch a bunch of Tom Brady tape and turn yourself into Tom Brady, they should have said to Mac Jones, Mac – what did you like to run at Alabama? What were your five favorite plays that you ran last year under Steve Sarkisian at Alabama? We're going to put those in, and we're going to run those here. Do you know how many RPOs the Patriots ran this year, Trags?
0: I would say five, seven. Oh, I was close.
1: Seven RPOs. Do you know how many wasn't RPOs, a lot? <laughs> you know how many RPOs Alabama ran last year, Trags? Uh, they had how many games?
0: Thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Uh yeah. I'm going to say 150.
1: A little bit over uh 80. Oh 80, okay. 80.
0: 80. Still
1: 80 to 7. Mac Jones's numbers off RPOs at Alabama 73 for 80 for 11.9 yards per pass attempt.
0: And and the Patriots use that seven times this year?
1: Seven times. That's and
0: abhorrent.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I asked McDaniels about it earlier in the year and I said,
0: Oh, I know. I can only imagine the answer you got, but go ahead.
1: Why aren't you running more? I said it more creatively. I, you know, you know, the Patriots tracks, you got to ask in the right way, right? You can't just ask it in in a, uh, so I said, Josh, essentially what do you think about RPOs? And he said, we don't major in it. It's something that we have in the playbook, but it's not something that we major in." And I was like, maybe you should major in it because honestly your quarterback absolutely lit up college football on RPOs and was unstoppable he threw 11 touchdowns to zero interceptions for 11.9 yards per attempt off an RPO and then you ran it less than 10 times in his rookie season so i i gave him the benefit of the doubt i said look they probably went into the season thinking cam newton was going to be their starter so they weren't really ready for Mac Jones yet. And maybe this offseason, he would get with Bill O'Brien, he would get with Sarkeesian, and they'd work an RPO playbook, you know, and install into the Patriots offense next next offseason, next training camp. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Now he's not here to do it. But the next offensive coach that comes into this Who will that offense, be, do you think? I think ultimately they're going to try to pry Bill O'Brien right, right. out of Alabama. I think for the most part, it makes the most sense for both parties. Uh, for Bill O'Brien, I think he wants to be a coach again uh, in the NFL. So the best way is to come here to you know work well with Mac, have a good couple of seasons as Max OC, and then get a head coaching offer down the road. But if Bill O'Brien comes here one of the first things I better see at training camp is some freaking RPOs or I'm going to lose my mind because.
0: It, I love you, Evan. It, it, I'm so glad I am having you on.
1: It's just one of those things where it just, you know, when when Joe Burrow came to the Bengals, I guarantee you, Zach Taylor said to him, Joe, what do you like to do? What do you like to run? What are your favorite concepts? I know you guys ran a lot of empty at LSU, but did you actually like to run empty or was that just something that Joe Brady made you do? You know, what, where did you kind of fall on all these things? And they crafted the offense around him. With McDaniels, it was always about let's get a guy and let's drop him in and let's try to turn him into Tom Brady light, right? That was just always the approach. And so I just really hope the next guy is a little bit more adaptive to the players around him.
0: I'm coming to your neck of the woods next season. You do know that.
1: Yes. I can't wait
0: at the Patriots. Obviously we don't know when yet. We'll probably, we'll find that out in what late March, early April, something like that. Yeah. Like,
1: like April or I think it might actually have been, it's usually like right after the draft. It's like the next, Oh, okay. The next thing on the calendar. Yeah.
0: So that'll be fun. And I'll, uh, make sure to book my air flight travel because I'm definitely going, we have some good trips next, next year. We're going to the saints. We're going to the Cowboys are the, are the Bengals Um, go to New York and new England. Uh, Dolphins and bills both come here. There'll be some really fun games on the docket. I believe the chiefs come to Paul Brown stadium again. And so it's going to be, Patriots
1: have a pretty good road schedule too. If you're, it's uh, a lot of travel, but if you're into, if you're a Patriots fan and you just want to go to a cool NFL city, uh, next year, there's a lot of really they're going to Lambo uh, to play the Packers in Green Bay. Uh, they go to Vegas to see the new stadium. I know you were there Beautiful. earlier. Yeah, this it's gorgeous. Year. Yeah. And obviously now it will be Belichick versus McDaniel. So that will be a, a fun game uh, in Vegas. So yeah, some cool Patriots road games, but I, I'm definitely I'm a little disappointed it's on Cincinnati. I wanted some skyline chili, but I'm glad that you I'm gonna see you. That's gonna be awesome. I I we were so close to Patriots Bengals in the Two playoffs.
0: Seconds, Brandon freaking Stanley.
1: Yeah, I I really was. All of us were pulling for that one. That would have been the best of the best, but we'll have to settle for the regular season matchup next well, year. Well,
0: no nobody in Cincinnati is complaining right about now, nor should they be. <laughs> I First Super Bowl in 33 years that they're uh, traveling to and they are not for the first time ever playing the 49ers. They are playing the Los Angeles Rams. Give me a pick early, early pick. You are um, feel free to revise it online. If you like, or <laughs> I on Twitter.
1: I, I love you. Trags. I want to pick the Bengals so badly. I want to say Cincinnati. I can't get over the trenches though. I just yeah. can't. The on both sides, really. I I think that there's a a huge now. Granted, the Bengals' defensive lines played a lot better in the playoffs than anybody could expect. Uh, DJ Reader's been a man possessed, yeah. Trey Henderson's been great, so maybe that's BJ Hill. It
0: is is very underrated. I'm telling you, he he had that interception the other day, broke through the line a little bit, got some push on that interception. Um, Do not overlook BJ Hill, but go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that that D line is maybe, you know, a lot of the season regular season metrics, the Bengals were not a very good defensive line during the regular season. Right. You know, ESPN's uh, pass block, win rate or PFF pressure rate, that kind of stuff, but they've been a much different unit in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. So I just can't – the matchup's going to be won and lost by Donald versus the the Bengals' offensive line, right? If the Bengals' offensive line can hold up and can block long enough to help Joe Burrow get the ball down the field, I think there'll be some options down there for him. But I, I don't know if they can block the D-line of the Rams. So I'm taking the Rams. I think Burrow's going to be back, though. I, I don't think that this is over, but we – yeah, I want to caution you. We do say that about a lot of young quarterbacks, right? When they get to the top of the yes. mountain, we we say Jared Aaron is going to be back. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to be back. You know, it doesn't always work out that way, but I think Burrow is going to be a force for a while. So,
0: so you're gonna you're not going to give me a score. Give me. A I scoring. think there's going
1: to be some points. Uh, I would say 27-24 Rams as of right now, but if the Bengals won, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm, I, I'm taking, I'm taking the Rams early on here. I'm sorry. I know your listeners are going to hate me, but well, that's, that's all right.
0: right. <laughs> you should love Evan Lazar for the quality <laughs> NFL talk that he brings to the table. Look up Nobody- choice Stucco.
1: I'll, I'll send you the play sheet and you can, you can take a look at it, but your, your listeners should look that play up
0: choice stucco. It is yeah, Cooper cups, uh, bread and butter. Correct.
1: Yes. they they. Uh, yeah. I'll send you, I'll send, I have the, the, print you know, exactly what it looks like in their, in the 49ers playbook, but it's the same thing in the race. Yes,
0: playbook. and I will um, give you credit on Twitter. You are the best, Evan. That's why I had you on, and this was just it, it was a prolific podcast.
1: Yes, it was. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. I, we haven't done this in a while, so it was exciting to do it again. By the
0: way, I don't think we're talking out of school here. I will be returning the favor in a couple of days on the Patriots beat Super Bowl preview, correct?
1: Correct. Well, so... I got confused Go ahead. because of the Super Bowl bye week always throws me off. So we'd love to have you on this Thursday and next Thursday. If you want to do both, we don't care. We always love having you on. But it's up to you if you want to come on both times this week, next week. We can talk about that off the air, too, and figure it out.
0: I'm game. He is Evan Lazar. Please follow him on Twitter at Evan Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R. All one word. He is the best in terms of breaking down film And he's one of my very dear, dear friends in the business. Evan, thanks so much. Thanks, Jax. All right. That is the Jungle Roar podcast, Super Bowl preview, bi-week edition. Thanks for listening.